We open the Holy Scriptures to John chapter 13. We will read together the first 17 verses and the text we will focus on is verses 14 through 17. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. Now begins the words of our text. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye, if ye do them. Thus far we read in the Holy Scriptures. What does it really mean to be an office bearer? What is it at heart, at essence? Jesus in John chapter 3 answers that question for us in a beautiful, profound, visible way. There are depths in this chapter, which we cannot plumb this morning. Indeed, that's the case with all of our Lord's sayings and actions. Layer after layer of meaning. There are universal applications here for all of us as a Christian people. We're going to focus especially this morning on what Jesus has to say here. What Jesus has to teach those whom he calls into the special offices of the church. What really is it to be an office bearer? Sometimes to wrap your mind around something, you need to go back to the basics. Go back to the fundamentals. And that's what we do here. Back to the basics of office bearing. And the basics can be summed up in the word and the concept that perhaps you've noticed in all of the Psalters that we sang this morning. 
in which began the seventh stanza of Psalter 214. His servant he called, a shepherd of the sheep, from tending his flock, the people to keep. So David, that Old Testament office bearer, so now you, brothers. Their shepherd with wisdom and might protected and fed them and led them aright. That is the essence of office bearing. To be the servant of all. Let's focus on that this morning. For all of our instruction as Christians who hold the office of believer, and for those whom the Lord has been pleased to place in special offices in the church, for our instruction and for our comfort in the carrying out of that special work given to us. Servants we are. The theme is doing as the Master has done. Doing as the Master has done. We're first going to look at the Master's service. Secondly, we will look at how His service is an example to us. And then finally, we will see there is encouragement for us. Jesus begins the opening words of our text, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, there is the Master's service. Here in the text. The Master's service is Jesus' astonishing act of washing His disciples' feet. Let's bring ourselves into the setting and get the picture before our minds. The setting of the text is the upper room that the disciples had been sent to prepare earlier that day for the Passover. For the last Passover. The events of our text take place during the final week of our Lord Jesus' earthly life. His Passion Week. These events take place Thursday night, the very night that he was betrayed, the very night before he would give his life upon the cross for his people. Jesus and his disciples are gathered in that upper room of the private home. Everything is ready for the Passover supper. Verse 2 says, and the supper being ended. And here our, our King James translation is somewhat misleading. Perhaps a better translation, a more literal translation, is now supper being come. This washing of the feet did not take place after supper, but was what took place, as was the Jews' custom, prior to the supper. In fact, the washing of feet was a customary act practiced among the Jews, usually right when the people would come into the house. And that made sense in that day and in that climate, When the standard footwear of people was sandals and the climate was hot, dusty, that when you would enter into a house, there would be a servant with a basin full of water to wash your feet. Wash away the dirt of the road and the sweat. Now we can all see that this was not a job that was peculiarly attractive to anyone. It was the job of a menial servant. But this being a private home, space borrowed you might say, there was no appointed servant standing ready to do this chore for Jesus' disciples as they gathered for the Passover. And it appears that none of the disciples volunteered for this lowly and unpleasant task either. We in fact know from Luke 22 verse 24 that recently the disciples had been squabbling, there was a strife among them. As to who would be accounted the greatest of their number. And so it's not unreasonable to surmise that none of the disciples felt that this unpleasant task of foot washing belonged to them. 
Surely Jesus was the master and they were the servants, but these other disciples, their fellow disciples, should I be the servant of my fellow disciple? He is my equal. We are equals. And so no one volunteered for this humble, unpleasant task. Each one likely felt it shouldn't be his job to wash the feet of his peers. That seemed to be beneath them. And so at first... It looked like this custom of foot washing prior to sitting down for the meal was going to be quietly passed by. Jesus, the master teacher that he is, uses this circumstance to deliver a powerful, beautiful lesson that resounds through the ages. To us today. Jesus rises. From the supper table. You can imagine. The disciples looking. And their eyes widening with a certain ashamed astonishment. As the Lord and Master sets aside his robe. Pours water into a basin, wraps a towel about his waist, and moves towards his disciples who likely would have been reclining on a low couch around the table where the Passover feast was sitting. And Jesus comes. Jesus. The latchet of whose shoes, John the Baptist had said, I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. This Jesus stoops down and unlooses the latchet of his disciples' sandals. And Jesus takes in hand one sweat-sodden, dust-caked foot after another. And Jesus begins bathing their feet in the basin of water and wiping them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And he goes down the row of his abashed Disciples looking on quietly as the master does the menial, unpleasant job of the lowliest servant. Well, Jesus reaches Peter, who we can imagine pulls his feet back. While the others kept silent as the master went about this service, not Peter, we know him well from the scriptures. We see his personality coming out here again, impulsive Peter, quick to speak and to act even before he has fully thought something through. And so John 13 verse 6 says, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? There's, there's a certain consternation As well as astonishment in Peter's question here. A mixture of thoughts and feelings are surging through the disciple. He feels a certain shame that Jesus the master is doing this. The Lord shouldn't be the one on his hands and knees Peter thinks. That's unbecoming of the master's dignity. Unbefitting his station and his authority. Indeed, there is a certain humility on Peter's part here, but with a faulty understanding. The essence of humility is submission to the Master's revealed will. Peter doesn't fully grasp yet what Jesus is doing. He doesn't see the deeper layers of meaning in Jesus' act. And Jesus recognizes this. And so in verse 7 of the passage, Jesus says, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. There is more to this act of Jesus than meets the eye. And Jesus here is not merely talking about the act of Of washing his disciples feet. But he is talking about all that he is doing. In the state of humiliation. His whole ministry. And he's especially talking about all that he is doing that very night. Which none of his disciples would yet comprehend. Soon he would go to Gethsemane. Soon he would give himself into the hands of sinners. Soon he would go before the high priest. And before Pontius Pilate. And go to Golgotha. And be affixed upon the cross. And the disciples would scatter. They would not understand. Yet Jesus says hereafter you will know. In fact, as we'll see in a moment, what Jesus is doing here 
this beautiful act of service is ultimately pointing to what he soon will do on the cross. But the headstrong disciple still doesn't budge, does he? He's fixated on what seems shameful to him, the Lord washing disciples' feet, the Lord acting like a servant. And so in verse 8, Peter insists, thou shalt never wash my feet. He means well, undoubtedly, yet the headstrong disciple still doesn't understand. And we see in his headstrong insistence here a certain folly, insisting on what he sees as right and good, despite Jesus' revealed will. And so Jesus answers directly, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Here again, Jesus indicates the deeper significance to this act of washing his disciples' feet. All by itself, yes, it is an amazing act of service. But this amazing act of service is pointing to the spiritual act of service that Christ has been engaging in and carrying out the entire earthly life and ministry that he has been performing. Especially the next day, Calvary. Jesus' point is, unless... I wash you inwardly, you have no part with me. Peter's understanding, he's not going to grasp it yet, but he's certainly frightened by the thought of having no part with Christ. And so he exclaims in verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head as well. Good zeal on Peter's part, but zeal that was not yet according to knowledge. Jesus replies that the washing of his whole body is not necessary. It's not this visible act with physical water that is going to make you clean. That's not what I'm talking about. But anyone who is washed with the blood of Christ, he will be clean. Body and soul, every whit. Jesus' act of foot washing is an object lesson meant by the master teacher to teach several important truths. And so now moving on from the history, seeing what Jesus did that night, the service of the master, let's delve into the significance. And the significance is so rich. The significance has so many layers. We cannot possibly explore it all this morning. But let's focus on three things. What the master did in washing his disciples' feet is a figure of everything that he did for them and everything that he has done for every one of his disciples throughout the ages. They as well as you and me today. It is a figure for what he was doing that night and what he would do the next day on Good Friday. Jesus' act of foot washing, as one old writer put it, is a a miniature exhibition of the entire life and ministry of Christ in the state of humiliation. Showing what he came to do for us and how he does it and the manner in which he does it. And so those three things that we noticed this morning are first, Jesus' humility, Jesus' self-sacrificial love, and Jesus' lesson concerning the nature of true greatness among the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' act of washing his disciples' feet illustrates for us in the most poignant way his deep humility. And that's the kind of Savior that He is. He is not the kind of Savior that so many in His day wanted. The mighty military leader who was going to kick Caesar and his Roman legions out of Palestine. He came lowly having salvation. According to the prophecy of Zechariah. Who is Jesus? Here we see the wonder of who he is. Verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. Jesus has no qualms about 
referring to himself using one of the divine names. Lord, he is the Son of God come in the flesh, worthy of all worship and adoration. Verse 3 of the chapter, the Father had given all things into his hands. He was come from God and went to God. We see here the divinity, the glory of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And yet also his humility in our flesh. But then in this passage, it's taken even further. The Son of God who humbled himself so low as to take upon himself our human flesh to become man, one of us, for us poor sinners and our salvation. Not only does he stoop to our human level, but as a man, he stoops even lower to the lowest level, to the level of a menial servant, to the level of a slave, in order to serve his own unworthy servants. John 13 is a living portrait of Philippians 2, 6 through 8, where we read about Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look how low Jesus stoops here to wash his disciples' feet, to serve them, unworthy as they were, Confused as they were. Misunderstanding as they were. And that astonishing act of service. The Lord in our flesh. Stooping and getting on his hands and knees. And dirtying his hands with the stinky grime of human feet. That is a powerful picture. Pointing. cross. Jesus stooped to the very lowest. He went bearing our sin to the cross of Calvary. It's no coincidence that Jesus performs this act of foot washing on the night of the last Passover. Because Jesus himself is the Passover lamb. The true lamb of God who the very next day would offer himself upon the altar of the cross. Would shed his blood for the remission of his people's sins. And there is the deepest humility. The saving, redemptive humility of the master. Our sin bearing, suffering savior who gave himself the substitutionary atonement for our sins. That's how Lo, the master humbles himself. And here as he washes his disciples' feet and humbles himself to the lowest from a physical, invisible point of view, it is an emblem of his deepest humility in giving his life upon the cross to wash us so that we might have a part with him a share of the inheritance of the firstborn, a place in the Father's house of many mansions, a place in the covenant and kingdom forevermore. That's the first significance of this act of Christ. His deepest humility, saving humility. But now Jesus' humility in the second place demonstrates his self-sacrificial love. In fact, the wondrous love of Jesus is shown... In the astonishing humility of Jesus. Verse 1 of John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. 
And Jesus washing the, the feet of his disciples is a, is a figure. It is a visible portrayal of him loving his people to the end. So great was the love of the Savior that he gave himself upon the cross. That he went to the uttermost end, descended into hell itself, and bore the fullness of the holy wrath of the divine judge to make payment for your sins and mine. To secure for us every blessing of salvation. His love is demonstrated and displayed in his humility. The whole principle of Jesus' life and ministry was the self-sacrificial love that we see infused into his every act and which we see manifest fully upon the cross of Calvary. Think about Jesus' whole ministry. How he stooped down to minister to poor sinners, to teach the ignorant and the confused and the erring, How he gave his time, his gifts, spent himself unto physical exhaustion for the sheep of Israel who had no shepherd. Till he poured out his soul unto death upon the cross. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man give his life for his friends. Greater love hath none than this, that the master, the friend sovereign, gives his life for his servants. Jesus got on his hands and knees out of love for his disciples. Jesus yielded his hands to the cruel Roman nails. and Yielded himself to the fullness of the wrath of God against our sin. For love. Love, saving love for his people. The foot washing is a miniature exhibition of the amazing, selfless, self-sacrificing love of the Lord and Master. And now you put these two together and you see how Jesus' act of foot washing is a lesson in true greatness. Jesus teaches his disciples here and he teaches his disciples throughout all generations The mystery of true greatness in the kingdom of God and in the eyes of God. Greatness in God's kingdom is not greatness as the world conceives it or as our sinful flesh wants to conceive it. To be great is not to have power. It is not to have authority that I wield according to my own will over others. True greatness is not to be on top of the pile. True greatness... Is to be like the master. Who took upon him the form. Of a servant. And stooped. To do. The lowliest. Most unpleasant of tasks. To wash. The feet. Of his disciples. Greatness, according to the Bible, is not being high and mighty. It is not power, wealth, possessions, prestige, fame, or any such thing. True greatness is being a servant to all. True greatness is stooping low. Thus Jesus had instructed his disciples in Mark 10, 44 through 45. And this is his lesson to us yet today. Whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the Master's service. And seeing the master's service, we are now in a position to appreciate and to apply his example for us.
his example to us. Having completed that astonishing act of washing his disciples' feet, Jesus goes back to the table and we read in verses 14 and 15, he says to his disciples, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. My disciples, you have seen me who you rightly call Lord and Master, stoop to serve you, my own servants. You have seen me undertake that undesirable, that unpleasant, that humble, that dirty task of ministering to you. Do as I have done. That's the calling. Of a disciple. To do as the master has done. That's the very concept. The very idea of a disciple. A disciple is the pupil of a master teacher. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who has his character. And his conduct formed and shaped by what he sees and studies in the master. The disciple is one who follows in his master's footsteps, who does his utmost to imitate his master so that his feet are placed precisely in the footsteps where the master trod. Jesus says, you've seen what I have done. Do as I have done. A commandment of this sort would have been sufficient. But Jesus sets sets himself forth here as our supreme example. The idea of Jesus saying, do as I have done, is not that we are to make some religious ceremony out of the washing of feet. That's beside the point. The significance is not in the outward act all by itself. But what Jesus is enjoining upon us here is that my character, my conduct that you see displayed in this act of service towards you, that is to be the character, that is to be the conduct that you, my disciples, assume to yourselves. To be a disciple is to strive after Christ-likeness, conformity to Him in all things. And thus, the principle of Jesus' own ministry as the Master. Deepest humility. Self-sacrificial love. Greatness through service to all. That principle of the Master's ministry must be the principle of the life of every disciple. And the ministry of every under-shepherd called by the Master. As I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, so you are to wash one another's feet. Your fellow disciples, your brother, your sister, in the family of God. This is your way of life, my people. That's what the Master is saying. This is not a one-time religious ceremony or something you do on a special occasion. This is what it is to be a disciple. This is the living principle of your whole life. This is who you are. This is what you do. Who are you, Christian people? You are those who are engrafted into Christ by a true and living faith and have received an unction of the Spirit. You are being conformed into the very image of Christ. What you see in Him is the pattern, the model for your whole life. A servant. A servant. What the master has done. We must do. As the master has done. We must do. Now we readily understand. That Jesus is not saying that we do exactly what he does. It's not that we as Christians now fulfill the spiritual significance of Jesus' act as if we wash away the sins of one another. And of course not. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has done that. 
by the shedding of his blood on the cross of Calvary. But the point is, this is the Christian's reasonable service. This is the Christian's work and life of gratitude. Having been served by the master in the most extraordinary way. Having been washed by the master and given a part with the master. Now, my response, my gratitude takes this shape. I serve. I serve my God. I serve my master. I worship him. I adore him. I live my life for him. But a huge part of how I serve my master is I serve my fellow servants. We noticed last week, one of the applications was the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. You can never cut those two apart. They belong together. They are a package. And one of the chief ways that you love God is by loving your neighbor. A chief way that we serve God is by serving our neighbor, serving our fellow servants. In humility, in the self-sacrificial love of a Christian, do as the Master has done. That is a disciple's holy obligation. That is the love debt we owe our master. And it is not a debt that is grievous to pay. For the spiritually minded Christian. It is a delightful thing. To render unto our master. Grateful returns of ardent love in this form. Washing my brother and my sister's feet. Whatever form that might be. It's doing the lowly job, the unpleasant task, to minister to them in their need. It's not thinking of myself so highly as to think it is beneath me to stoop and wash the feet of my brother. It is not to have the attitude that likely was in the heart of the disciples, not them, not him, not her. It's beneath me. He or she is my equal. Or if in our sin we think he or she is beneath me. Not worthy of my service. Look at what the master has done for you. He is master. He is Lord of all. And each of us are unworthy of even the least of his gifts and of his graces. And yet he stooped the lowest to give the most to us. And now says to us, do as I have done. 1 John 3.18 captures this spirit of our Lord's instruction where the inspired apostle John says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's not just talk about loving each other. Let's not just talk about it. Let's not just talk about how great Christian love is. But love indeed. And when we love indeed, we love in truth. And love indeed looks like this. Stooping. Getting on my hands and my knees. For the good. Of a brother or the sister. Whether it's my family, whether it's another member of the church, whether it's a neighbor I'm ministering to, even the least of the least by human estimation. Never forget what Jesus said in Matthew 25 verse 40. Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. That's application for all of us. But now this morning, let this text especially be applied to us. Brother office bearers. Pastor, elders, deacons. This is office bearing 101. Do as the master has done. Here is our example. Here is our instruction. 
We are called to represent Christ. And as those called and sent by Christ, this is the essence of our labor to reflect and model the character and conduct of the Master Himself and to minister to God's people as the Master ministered. Brother office bearers, if then the Lord and Master washed our feet, we ought to wash one another's feet. Who? All these. All these. This congregation. These people of God. Every single one of them. To be an office bearer is to be the servant of these. And no service is beneath us. We never stoop too low. Never may we say that. We are put in our position to take the form of a servant like the master did. To do as under shepherds as the good shepherd did. And so our calling then is to embody that humility that we see in the master. That lies close to the heart of Christ-likeness. Humility. We're not put into our position as office bearers to be lords over God's heritage. We're not put in that position for our own glory and praise. Yes, the Bible does say, and we heard it in the installation form, that those who are called to office are to receive the respect and honor of the congregation. But those should not be the first texts upon the hearts and minds and mouths of office bearers, but rather the first text, the first concept that ought to be in our minds as office bearers is John 13, perhaps. This is who I am and this is what I am called to do, to do as the Master has done. Peter later would write in 1 Peter, as an elder to other elders, be clothed in humility. Humility is the true vestment of special office. And as the, minute, or as the master did not think it beneath him to stoop and to get his hands dirty washing the disciples' feet, so it is our calling, brothers, to stoop. And the idea of stooping is not that we are so high and great and that we condescend because no, we're we're just sheep like the rest. We're just sheep like the rest. But we're called to stoop in this sense. That we give of ourselves for the precious people of God in our congregation. We're willing to get our hands dirty. Enter into the problems, the messes, the crises, the sufferings, the sorrows. And minister humbly, compassionately to God's people. And also bringing them with power the word of God that ever points to Christ. The only Savior who washes us from our sins. And gives us the spirit to conquer sin. And to persevere through our troubles victoriously. Humble service with the word, pointing ever to the master. Brother office bearers, our calling is to follow in the master's footsteps of love. That is to be the heartbeat behind every single work that we do. Every visit we go on, every meeting we have. Love for Christ and for his people. That love is costly, it is. You're called and installed today to be a living sacrifice on the altar of the service of God's people. We must give of our time, our energy, our gifts, our all for God's people. This is true greatness. True greatness doesn't consist of holding power. True greatness doesn't consist in the praise of men. True greatness is being like the master. Humbly serving. Servant of all. 
So we need encouragement for this, do we not? We need encouragement as Christians to live out this principle of the Christian life. And we need encouragement as office bearers in the special work given to us to live out this principle of the Christian life. And Jesus gives us that encouragement now in verses 16 and 17. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Start with that first statement of Jesus. The servant is not greater than his Lord. That's encouragement. That's the comfort that we need as Christians. As office bearers. Christ is the master. We're not. Christ is king. We're not. Christ is Lord. We're not. He is sovereign. We're not. He is almighty. We're not. And the almighty Lord and master will equip and empower his servants to do as he has done. And that's crucial to understanding the biblical idea of following the example of Christ. The example of Christ is not this. Christ does something and then he says, look, I'm your example. Now you do as I have done all by yourself. Never. Christ sets him forth, himself forth as our example. And he says, do as I have done. And he gives us the indwelling spirit to empower us to do as he has done. By grace through the spirit, Christian people, do as Christ has done. Wash the disciples' feet. And brother office bears in dependence upon the spirit. Do as the master has done. And be encouraged. Whom the master calls into his service. He equips for that service. And the text has proof right here in it. Think about who these disciples are. Peter, James, John, fishermen. And sitting over there is Levi. The former despised publican and tax collector. Who are these men of themselves? They are lowly. Nobodies in the eyes of the world. And yet Jesus has chosen them. Jesus calls them. And as the gospel history progresses, Jesus empowers and equips them by the Spirit to be his apostles who bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And what we see in the twelve disciples continues for office bearers yet today. God will empower you. Strengthen you. For that work. Be encouraged in this. The servant is not greater than his Lord. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. He who called. Will equip. And Jesus promises a blessing of happiness. As you faithfully serve him. Verse 17. If ye know these things. Happy are ye. If ye do them. What a privilege it is to serve as Christ has served. And there is great joy in it. There is. The Christian has no greater joy than to walk in the footsteps of his master. And the Christian who has has been called to a special office in the church has great joy in this. That he has the privilege of serving as the master served. As difficult as that service can be at times. And it is. Rarely are there seasons in the church when it is easy to be in office. And there are many. Very difficult challenges. Right now. That office bearers must face. The master equips. Master calls. The master says, Do as I have done in humility, in love for my people. And nothing is more conducive to the happiness of our own hearts than to have a heart that is like Christ's and hands that are employed in the way Christ's were employed, performing the deeds of service to the beloved of Christ, washing the feet of the saints. 
Brother office bearers, we're not always successful. We don't always do things the right way. We make mistakes. We err. Comfort is. The blood of Christ covers our sins. Let us humbly acknowledge that and be men of humility. Let us also not be discouraged when our labors seem to fail. The Lord is greater. The Lord is sovereign. And even when we're not successful by human standards, we can have the peace of conscience of knowing that the Lord's will is done. And I have done as the Master has done. If we serve as Jesus served, we will have that peace, that steadiness, that joy. May God grant that to us, to you men, as you take up the office this morning. As Joshua said, before the people entered into Canaan, may these words be of encouragement to you brothers this morning. Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid and neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And in whatever work you undertake. Do. As the master has done. Amen. Faithful God and heavenly father. We thank thee for the example. And the instruction of Jesus Christ. And it brings us to our knees. Saying who is sufficient for these things. We are not. But the master is greater than his servants. The master who calls his servants to serve. Will equip them for that service. Bless, Father, the four men who take up the office today. And bless all of the office bearers in our congregation. Give us the grace to follow the example of Christ. To be men of humility. Men whose ministries are imbued with the self-giving love of Christ. Men who wash the feet of the saints. This we ask through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.